sobs. And then we have the disorientation sobs. And it's like, God has forgotten me. Everybody's conquering me. The world is awful, and I am about to die and completely forgotten. And that, my friends, is what we often don't talk about well in Christian community. It is a natural part of the human life experience, of friendship with God, of a passionate love relationship with God, you're still going to have seasons of disorientation. The psalmists give us validity in those experiences. And sometimes we get stuck there. But with others' helps, with our own insight, we can move into what's called a reorientation. And that, the Psalms also bear out, is where we come back and we're like, oh yeah, God is great, but being human is hard. And it's a deeper appreciation for the activity and the greatness of God. So we're in Psalm 27 today, which happens to go through a, yeah, God, orientation, a, oh, where are you going to listen to me? Please help, disorientation, and then a reorientation of I am confident in his goodness. So we are going to read this um, together, and I want you to be sermon illustrating to yourself from your list of worries. So Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I'll be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Don't hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. 
Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So think of yourself right now. There's the flourishing aspects of life and there are languishing aspects. If that was a sliding scale, are you closer to flourishing? Are you a little into the languishing or quickly sliding into languishing? We know that we are called into a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy, and it's a wonderful thing. This psalmist in the first six voices is flourishing, even though there's some adversity. And then all of a sudden, this person slinks into languishing, and we do too. Um, my first major disappointment, grief, after, well, a grandmother passed. I understood that kind of thing. But where I got fearful of my future, I found very quickly that my trust in Jesus was not up to the problem. It's not that I didn't trust Jesus. I did. It's that the weight and the grief of the problem were so big and I was so not equipped for the grief that I went for the first time in my life like a whole week without talking to the Lord. Y'all, when I'm angry, I don't shut off people, but I had a spell because the grief was so big. And then I said, okay. I'm going to read the Psalms. There are 150 of them. And if I can't sense your presence by the time I finish it, then, you know, our friendship is like not what I thought it was, God. And this is just realistic. And I got to Psalm 27. In particular, I got to verses 13 and 14. Now, the grief then was that I was having a series of miscarriages. And I thought, oh, Lord, I'm never going to have children. Um, those of you that don't know, I have five now. I'm not lacking for children. But at the time, I did not know that. And I was so terrified that this thing I had just assumed was a natural part of humaning was not going to be a part of my life experience. And if it wasn't a part, I was done with God because that was just mean. And like, I'm looking around and I'm like, I'd be a better mama than that person. Like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like clean grief either. It was judgy, mad at God and the rest of the world grief. And this is where the Lord met me. But he didn't meet me in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He met me and I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So I wasn't experiencing the goodness of God. But there would be a day where I would see his goodness again. Now, this is what phone Bibles don't do. For the rest of the like 20 years that I used that Bible, I finally like wore it out. I put the date and I put miscarriage. And every time I read through the Psalms, I remembered how the Lord showed up 
in that pain. And I invite you to do that in your Bible. When the Lord shows up with a scripture, you put that date and you put a word that reminds you so that you know the Lord showed up and met you. And you may not be meeting him today, but he showed up when you needed him. Now this, we're going to look a little bit at the flourishing. Um, I just, my assumption is you probably flourish well. So we're going to get to the languishing pretty fast. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Here's what I want you to notice. The scripture starts with Lord. This chapter ends with Lord. This is the name of Yahweh, who is who he is, who was who he was, and will be who he will be. This is where he's getting light, not just light like for hope, not just to see where to go, but light of insight. Salvation. You know UBC has a wellness center? You know that? Guess what? If we were doing a translation of salvation, what is a salve? It's a balm. I got a burn, I put a balm on. Jesus is wanting to be the balm for your soul. He wants to be the source of your wellness. That is who he is. And then he is the stronghold of our life, the safe place, if you will, the fortress to go to. So then if those things are true, then why are we afraid? Well, look back at your list and say, my parents are paying for university, and they expect a certain level of doing wellness. Um, I'm about to graduate. <clears throat> And I am expected to have a certain kind of jobness. My friends are all partnering up. I'm not. This is lonely. I don't know what you're afraid of. But I know that we all get scared around getting enough respect, enough success, enough honor, important relationships. You know, several years ago, there was a first-year student and she was grieving being at UBC. And you know what she needed? I've, it's the best request I've ever had. She needed socks. She was sure she was going to die of flu if she didn't get more socks because her socks were wet all the time walking around at UBC. I don't know what your needs are, but there are things that we are afraid of and we forget that God wants to meet them. But this psalmist, when they're flourishing, is like not put off by the wicked, not put off by enemies. We don't know if this was an actual army or a metaphorical army. When we're flourishing, we can face life's adversities with a fair amount of confidence. Verse 4, this is how this person was flourishing. What is the purpose of this person's life in verse 4? to worship God, to be with God. Yeah, here we are. As humans, humans start in a garden. We're going to end up in a city. But in all of those, that is with God right there at the center. He wants to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Um, okay, truth telling. 
How many, particularly of you gentlemen, love to look on the beauty of God? Is that, how, is that a part of your devotional life? All right. Beauty is what is attractive, what is pleasant, what is delightful. It is, this word for gaze is a very interesting word. It's used to almost investigate. When's the last time you investigated what is delightful about the Lord? And that is the purpose. Now, for all intents and purposes, this is probably David. And we know that David was a king, which means he had a certain amount of responsibility. But his first priority, his first call, his purpose in life was to live with the Lord. We're going to come back to this. And then he trusts that God is the one that's keeping him safe. And there are all these beautiful metaphors um, in the dwelling, in the shadow of the shelter of the tent. Think about the children of Israel. They had a tent. They had a tabernacle. Then they got a temple. And now we're the temple. And that is a thing to realize, is that this safety, this extension of the care of God was coming where God's presence was. And God's presence is in us individually, and God's presence is with us collectively. And so when I can't sense the presence of God, I need brothers and sisters who are the temple of God to help me experience God's presence. Um, And then there's worship that comes from joy. Now, not all of life is going to be joyous, and that's where we run into after this worship flourishing, is into this person's languishing. Now, <clears throat> like I said, we're, we're doing quick on the flourishing, because I think Christians do that well. And then when we start to languish, you know what? Sometimes we think all languishing is sin. And then we feel guilty for languishing. And we feel guilty for not being joyful. So I'm going to be more autobiographical in this message simply because I don't want to hurt anyone else's heart by telling their story. And so forgive me for a few too many personal stories. About a decade, well, actually this month, a a decade ago, I went to a counselor for the first time. And my self-introduction was, I'm just having trouble having joy. And I'm kind of, by nature, a fairly joyous person. So the counselor was listening and listening. And it was a Christian counselor. So I thought, you know, he would know. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in me, I am supposed to be joyous. And he listened. He says, so you're concerned because you're not joyous. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, so your mom's just been diagnosed with metastasized cancer. I'm like, yeah. You have a tumor, and they don't know yet know what it is. And I'm like, yeah. And you're having financial stress because you're on family leave and only getting 60% of your usual income. And I'm like, yeah. And you have four children, and so you're kind of busy. And I'm like, yeah. Um, and you're supporting your husband as he's starting a new church. And I was like, yeah. That's great. I'd be a lot more worried if you were joyous coming in here with all this. And I looked at him, and I'm like, you know it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. (laughs) And then he goes, have you read the Psalms? 
it's okay to be scared that you have a tumor and not want your children orphaned. And it is okay to grieve deeply your mama has metastasized cancer. And it is very real to have um, financial stress. And even when you're doing good things that the Lord wants you to, that doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not lonely. And that one conversation, and then a bunch of others, changed my emotional discipleship. And you may be comfortable with the full gambit of human emotions. And that's wonderful. I encourage you to notice and name whatever the emotion of the moment is. I was given a lot of discipleship about in your anger, don't sin, and don't go to bed angry. And those have served me very well, have made for a relatively happy, not really a very happy marriage, and a relatively good relationship everywhere else. (laughs) All right? But they weren't enough. They weren't enough when life was painful and scary and I couldn't keep up. So as we look into the languishing, I'm going to suggest there are four aspects of languishing after the mom stuff. Are you languishing? All right. Treat yourself at least as well as you would treat your pets. And make sure you're getting walked every day. And are you well fed? And are you well watered? Did you get your daily cuddles? And if something's not wrong and you can't write and you can't figure out what it is, go to the vet. Your mama wants you to eat well, drink well, get enough sleep, and get a bit of exercise. And if you're not doing those things, it doesn't matter how much Jesus loves you and you love him, you are not going to flourish because you are an animal before you are anything else. And that animal body is supposed to be taken care of. And you know what? We use our goals and our schools. Y'all, it's called selfish ambition in the Bible. Go read James 3. But we say, I have to do well. You want to do well? Take care of your body. All right. So that's just, I was about to say, that goes without saying, but I guess I just said a lot. So take care of your body because you're an animal. We are animals. And then there are four ways Christians respond to languishing. First of all, we say, well, there must be some unconfessed sin in my life. (laughs) Okay, let's be honest. We all have some unconfessed sin in our lives. The psalmist help us out with that. The psalmist says, oh, Lord, not in Psalm 27, somewhere else. It says, all right, uh, forgive me for my willful sins and then for the ones I don't even know I'm doing. All right? I'm going to trust that your discipleship has done well by sin and that you've been taught to confess. If you're feeling guilty, stop it or change your thinking. And here, I mean, I don't want to simplify this because the internet makes it like two steps to be in all kinds of a hot mess, and you may actually need help. I'm just under the assumption that most of us know what is godless, and we may be stuck and need help, but we don't need to think about this. But there are three other areas where at least my Christian discipleship left me inadequately equipped. 
And I want us to think about those as we go into these next verses. One is that grieving is part of being human. And we know <clears throat> we give ourselves a little bit of grief time if somebody dies. To be precise, you get usually about a week off from work. Now, appreciate that Joseph, you know, back in Egypt, Joseph, Joseph's daddy died. He was like second most important person running the whole country. And 70 of his officials, they got months off. They grieved in Egypt. Then they grieved up in Canaan. They did full-on grieving. We get a week off. So I'm just thinking that maybe in our broader society, we don't have great structures for how to grieve. But you may not be grieving the death of someone, and you are grieving a sense of place. UBC is wonderful for your mind. It's probably harder on your sense of community and of being known. You may be grieving a relationship. You may be grieving an old roommate. You may be grieving the loss of a pet. You, I don't know, but there are things that are grieving that are not just because somebody died. And you need to learn how to recognize that in yourself. The other thing is connected to grieving and connected to sin, but it's called, I am lacking a word, it's systems, okay? In 1 Corinthians 7, the Greek word is the schema, all right, the backdrop. What's happening? So this is Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego loved God. They were taken to exile, so they're grieving Jerusalem. They're grieving their mama and daddy. They were teenagers. And then they become effective government civil servants, okay? And then their worldview, their one thing that they did was to love God. Now, they did a lot of other things well, but they loved God well. And for all four of them, at different points, their life came at risk because of that, because the schema, the framework of the surrounding culture did not have space for loving God wholeheartedly. There are patterns in where we are that we don't even realize, okay? I'm going to take liberties. Noah, can you stand up? Nick, can you stand up? And Nathaniel, can you stand up? There, all right, how many of you love movies, dramas, TV show dramas? Let me show you. Here's the plot of every one. There is a victim, and something horrible has happened. And there is a rescuer to that victim. And there is the persecutor. And that persecutor is making the victim's life, well, hell. And the rescuer, dun dun dun, dun is coming to save the day. Every story, at least if it's like Netflix, Amazon Prime, produced Hollywood-ish, it's going to have some aspect of that. Okay, keep standing, guys. You have a family that's more than two people, you're going to have a triangle whenever you get three people. And unless you decide, I am not helpless victim, I have agency, the Lord will show me how to handle this complexity. You will look to a human to rescue you. Who is our Savior? Jesus. But you know what? Ooh, we love the stories about white 
knights in shining armor coming da, 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 to save the day, and things aren't going well in our studies, we want somebody to come and save us. And to somebody else, it might be the vo your own internal voice is going, see, that's what happens when you only study two nights, and you should not have gone out with your friends on Friday night, and that's why you're failing this test, and it's your own. It may be the way you talk to yourself. But there is this pattern of blaming, of saving, and acting like I can't do anything. Thank you, guys. There are patterns, okay? Now, I know you're like, this is a long time away from the scripture. I want you, we're going to see this. There is sin. There is grief. There are patterns of ways of relating. So if you take the Lord's word seriously and you decide you are going to be the truth teller and you are in a workplace that values secrecy is that going to be a comfortable space no you're going to find you have some foes and enemies and adversaries and then the other part of languishing besides sin besides grief besides patterns is there's also real mental health struggles that are biochemical and I am not sure all of why, but in the Christian community, I have never been made to feel guilty that I wear glasses. It is perfectly acceptable to be a Christian woman in glasses. No one has ever questioned my faith in God and why he hasn't healed me that I'm wearing glasses. But when I have been languishing of spirit, people I love have said, oh, you just need to trust the Lord more. And it became a doubting question of how much I love Jesus. I hadn't quit loving him, but there were very real struggles they were not all, frankly, of my doing. Sometimes it was walking alongside somebody else's. And it's like, where, oh God, are you? And telling me to have faith actually created a bigger crisis of faith because the community was not coming in with the presence of God to be with me but to condemn now we read verse 7. These are the times when we say, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. So when I am grieving, even if I have sinned and messed up, even if the patterns all around me are twisted and turned and they can't hear my heart, even when I am deeply grieving or my wellness has gone off the cliff, oh Lord, hear my voice. And be merciful. And answer me. Um, Y'all are too young to probably appreciate the band U2. But at the end of their concerts, they sing from Psalm 40. I can't sing, but y'all are about to get blessed. How long will 
we sing this song? How long will we sing this song? Sometimes we are singing a song a long time before the Lord seems to answer. It does not mean he is not present, but we're saying, answer me. Our heart, sometimes our friends, are saying, seek God. Okay, I am. I'm trying here. But then verse 9 says, don't hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Don't reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. It is a natural part of pain to feel like we might have been rejected. Maybe we got rejected. Full stop, the pain came and started because there was some rejection. And now we're scared God is too. Maybe God is quiet, but we experience it as rejection. And we may worry we're being rejected because we know we did something we weren't supposed to. In my anger, I do sin sometimes. And I'm not sure where God's going to be. And so please don't reject me. Please don't forsake me. Maybe we're in grief and we're like, everybody else has left, or I've left everybody else. And maybe God's going to leave me too. Maybe God was only associated with that place and those people. And now I am here with the godless. And we're worried he can't show up. And maybe the biochemistry of our brain is making it particularly challenging to be aware of the presence of God. Um, apparently, where we pray is a place that is very prone in our brain. What's activated is also very prone to impact from mental health problems. Or maybe we're in a pattern where we feel like God's forsaken us because we're working in a space where everyone is God forsaken. Not because God doesn't love them, but because they don't love him. And the patterns are so foreign. In verse 10, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. It's this desperate beg. Now, parent relationships are a blessing and a problem. And complicated. And the more complicated our parent relationships, the more complicated our grief and our frustration there. Um, many believe this could be referencing back to 1 Samuel 22 when David was on the run from Saul and he had to go put his parents with the enemy because they were in danger. And he wasn't, you know, pre internet, he wasn't going to be able to see them for a long time. Maybe you have a complicated relationship with your parents, or maybe you're just not going to see them for a long time. Craig is visiting his mama for the first time in three years. And he's doing all the sunly things of changing doorknobs and repairing gutters and whatever. Um, she may have felt almost forsaken by us because we chose to obey the Lord and move far away. And there she is, widowed and alone. And then, verse 11, well, teach me your way, Lord, and lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Looking back and thinking about your fear list and the things you didn't put, 
What oppresses you? What makes it hard for you to seek the Lord and to dwell with him and make that your one thing? It's not always oppressive people. It can be oppressive habits. It can be oppressive things happening in our bodies or oppressive grief. But this psalmist is saying, Lord, please teach me. Now, verse 12, do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I don't know your foes. I have a few foes externally. They don't know it. It it typically is somebody who's just looking out for themselves and their actions feel foe-like to me. But there are also foes that are expectations that you carry internally. And one of the things in my emotional discipleship was to learn that I talked to myself in a way that I talked to no other people. I apparently am very mean to myself, or used to be. Are you speaking to yourself maliciously? Are you bringing up some false witness? Do you have expectations on yourself that are not from the spirit of Jesus, that have more to do with a supervisor or a parent or self-expectations? What are the false witnesses you are bringing against yourself? I don't know where all of you are in the terms of flourishing or languishing. And I don't know the weights that you carry. I do know this, that most of us carry much more than we want anybody to know. Most of my life, people have talked to me and told me stuff, and yet, I was in my 20s before I found out my two best friends in childhood were regularly being sexually molested. Yeah, these were family friends, people that I trusted. My parents trusted enough that I spent the night at their houses. Nothing happened to me in their homes. But these were close relationships. Their family members were family friends that violated them. And yet it wasn't something that we talked about until we adulted. No idea. I had a friend, and he was somebody that was like pretty much a daily part of our lives. And I did not know he had a chronic health condition until he was hospitalized and could not come out. I tell you these stories to say that my assumption now is that most people have more that's happening in our lives than we bring to the full table. And that's okay. Those are called boundaries. As long as you are coming to the Father with those heavies, as long as you are in some space receiving the support you need while you are languishing. And I do mean the Lord, but I mean more. In Jeremiah... You know, Jeremiah, here's another, just be free with your emotions. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He was carried off to Egypt when he wanted to go to Babylon. His work, he served the Lord, 
and it would literally get cut up and put in the fire. He was known as the weeping prophet. I mean, we have the book Lamentations. He was lamenting. But he has this word in Jeremiah 31, 25, that God said, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. I do believe that's the heart of God. I also believe, coming back to verse 4 in Psalm 27, one thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. We know now that we are the temple of God, and sometimes it's sharing what is heavy so that we can help one another in times of sin entrapment, in times of grief, where the patterns or schemes, not schemes like planning, manipulative schemes, but schematic schemes, or mental health, it's like the walls are closing in on us and we seek out for help so that we can go from disorientation in our spiritual lives and in our personal lives back to a healthy reorientation. And we can say with the psalmist, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Psalm 27 starts with Yahweh, ends with Yahweh. Waiting here is a hopeful waiting. It's not sitting at the bus stop, impatient. There is hope. And our hope is built on nothing less than one who himself wept and who himself experienced despair, himself experienced the unjust schematic that got him on the cross, but also came back as a resurrected one. And that's the waiting we do. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to see your beauty, your delightfulness, and your pleasantness, and that we would enjoy days where we are fully oriented in seeing your power and your goodness. And then, Lord, I ask that you would give us courage, that we would not be faint of heart, or when we are faint of heart, that we would seek support. We would seek support from friends, but also from professionals. That we would not be ashamed that life is hard sometimes. That we would receive from you wisdom and comfort and courage. That you would free us from shame and guilt and fear. That we would be people who um, receive from you the fact that we have no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And that when we are feeling you are absent, that we can allow your people to help us walk through whatever the valleys are. I ask that all of us here would love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength so that we can love our neighbors as ourselves. And Lord, that we would have the courage for all the emotions you have wired our body to experience. And that we would not stay immature in how we treat ourselves or one another, 
when we are languishing. And help us today at the point of fear and disappointment and exhaustion to say that we can still be confident of this, that we will see your goodness again in the land of the living. In Jesus' name, amen.